Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 23rd of January 2022, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, King David, the good, the bad and the ugly, the outlaw. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, King David, the good, the bad and the ugly, David the outlaw. Um, I think it was Jesus, as Stephen was saying, you know, after Jesus, um, David is the person who probably has the most amount of content devoted to him in the Bible. His life is fascinating, uh, and it makes for some incredible biblical narrative. We follow David from being a young boy right through to his uh, old age and death. And the events of his life, you'd have thought, you know, Goliath running from Saul, um, bringing the ark to Jerusalem, all these things, these great battles he does, they surely warrant some kind of like fantastic major biblical epic to be made about the life of David. Um, and it's a shame, therefore, that the main film that was made that covers David's entire life, not just the you know, famous David and Bathsheba, um, the old uh, movies, but um, the one which has actually been made about the life of David is so awful. Um, I don't know how many of you may have seen the film King David, starring Richard Gere as in the title role, and uh, marvellous performance by Edward Woodward of Saul, of all people. Uh, but it's really bad. It, it really is. Um, if, you, if you want to be confused and disappointed for two hours, be my guest, watch it. Uh, I had to watch it as part of a course I did at university. Uh, I remember that being a long afternoon. Um, seriously, you're, you're probably better off watching the uh, VeggieTales version, the, the catchily named Dave and the Giant Pickle. Um, in actual fact, I wouldn't recommend either of those if you really want to understand the life of David. You know, the best thing you can do is read the books in the Bible which cover his life, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Um, and you'll, if you do that, you'll see this amazing account of an extraordinary life. A life that is full of ups and downs, of highs and lows. And it's to this theme today that I want us to kind of turn as we examine this episode in David's life when he was effectively an outlaw, forced into hiding. And despite it being a very bad and at times ugly moment in David's life, it undoubtedly brought out the very good in him. Now, about um, a dozen years or so years ago, uh, a group of us from Christchurch went to hear the contemporary Christian author and theologian, uh, Rob Bell, speaking. He was doing a tour to promote his new book at the time, which was called Drops Like Stars. Uh, and it focused on creativity and suffering, seeing the things which might make us suffer, but using them for our kind of benefit. And during the talk, he asked everyone who was there to write on a piece of card that we'd all been given um, the words, I know how you feel. And even more, write it in our kind of non-writing hands. It became completely anonymous almost. And Rob then asked some questions, some human suffering questions, such as, how many of you have been directly affected by cancer? How many of you have been betrayed? How many of you have had a stack of bills that you didn't know how you were going to pay them? And with each question that he asked, if you had a card and that question applied to you, you'd look around and see someone else who also did, and you'd hand cards to each other. And it was quite an effective way of saying that you know, we weren't alone in our past and present sufferings, and that others had experienced them too. 
And it was remembering that evening, some 12 years ago, that made me think about how almost relatable this particular period in David's life is, and that we're thinking about today. Now, of course, not many of us will find ourselves in a situation where we're faced with having to kill a giant warrior. Correction, surely none of us will ever find ourselves in a situation where we're having to kill a great Goliath. Uh, I'm sure many of us will not, none of us will find ourselves in a situation where we're going to be king of Israel. So how does it relate to us? Well, many of us, however, have had times in our life when it's just been completely turned upside down. The unexpected just completely comes in and floors us. We might have had our comfort and security shattered as a relationship or a job ends. Or we might still have possibly to face really serious illness, unemployment. But it's in those times that we can start to really appreciate just what God can do in our lives. So um, what actually happened to David in the, uh, after he defeated Goliath and up until he became king? Uh, call it David at the wilderness years. Uh, well, it might sound like it should have been a fairly straightforward like progression. Kill mighty warrior, get in with the king, become in charge of armies, eventually become king. But it doesn't go that way. You're far from that kind of smooth passage. Now, when all the people of Israel were crying out for a king, an earthly king, and saying, we need someone to lead us, just like all the other nations around us have, the prophet Samuel warned them that an earthly king was not the answer to their problems. God should be the only sovereign ruler over their lives. An earthly king would ultimately reject God's authority, not submit his kingship to God. Instead, become self-centered, selfish, corrupted by power. And these are all the things that came to pass when Saul was anointed king. Firstly, Saul started to get really jealous of David. Uh, he'd been fairly well-liked king, but no more. And instead, David was the person who the people favored and loved. And crucially, the Bible tells us, God was with David. So Saul, whilst overcome with an evil spirit, it tells us, uh, tries to pin David to a wall with a spear, when, to be frank, all that David is doing is playing his lyre soothingly to calm Saul down. But thankfully, David evades this attempt on his life. Uh, Saul realises that the Lord is with David, and so he has to up his game. So he offers his daughter his, hand in mar- uh, his daughter's hand in marriage, his daughter Mira. Uh, and he says, you can have my daughter, my first daughter's hand in marriage, if you will go and fight fiercely against the Philistines, hoping that surely he will die in the process. Um, initially, David refuses this generous offer. But when Saul's second daughter, Michal, is offered up as a potential wife instead, David agrees. Except this time thinks, well, I'm going to up my game even more. He says, David, you don't have my daughter's hand in marriage, but there is a price to pay for this. 200 Philistine foreskins, in case you were wondering. Um, and yeah, I think Saul's thinking, okay, let's send David to do this weird thing I'm asking him to do. And surely the Philistines can be so enraged at this like, act of carnage that he's undertaking against the people that they will do everything in their power to just slaughter David doesn't quite go that way. David is successful. The Philistines, less so happy. Um, and then and David succeeds and presents this unique dowry to Saul, and he marries Michal. So Saul, once again, realises that very much the Lord is with David. So he realises, surely there's only one thing he can do. He once again tries to pin David with a spear. 
Uh, and when he's doing, again, nothing more offensive than just playing the lyre to keep Saul happy. Now, it's almost kind of Shakespearean, this, I feel. Kind of like um, yeah, a jealous king getting increasingly more paranoid, tales of love and revenge and death and things. Um, so it's actually probably say that Shakespeare, instead of the Bible being Shakespeare and Shakespeare's more biblical. Anyway, um, but um, again, David evades this attempt on his life. Um, I say, if you ever play darts, you don't want Saul on your team. Two for two, he's thrown a spear and missed. Um, but David this time realizes he better get a move on. It's not safe to wait around for a third attempt on his life. And so he flees. He leaves everything behind. His security, his home, his wife, his friends, his comfort. And yet the Lord is still with him, even in these difficult times. David has his closest friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, help him escape. And he flees to a place called Nob, where he and his small band of men who have joined him, all of them are starving hungry at that point because they literally fled without any provisions, they're fed with consecrated bread by one of the priests there. Later on, unfortunately, Saul finds out about this and has all the priests that Nob killed. And so David has to flee again. Can you see a pattern sort of developing in David's life? It's a constant um, state of momentum. It's like, I've got to keep on the move. I've got to keep going, otherwise I am dead. Yeah, it sounds kind of funny when we do this, but actually it was a difficult time. And he finds himself in the hands of the king of Gath where the king's men realize just who they've suddenly got. Now, this is David. Saul's looking for him. They're going to kill him. And so David thinks, if the king realizes who I am, he's going to hand me over to Saul, and I'm dead. So what does David do? He pretends to be a madman. He starts scratching at the walls and the doors and dribbles down his beard. I'm literally quoting it verbatim from the Bible here. And the king promptly gets rid of him and says, I don't want this madman near me. Get away. Despite having to continuously be on the move, he and his small band of men managed to save this town of Cala from being captured by the Philistines. David, you see, he just keeps on going, getting on with his life, being led in these extraordinary events by God. And he managed to save this town of Cala from being captured by the Philistines, who must really hate him by now, but not as much as Saul, who continues to pursue David. The Lord then tells David that the people of Cala will hand him over to Saul if he stays there. So he flees into the desert where he and his men hide in a cave. And who should also come into that cave, desperately seeking a bit of privacy to answer the call of nature? Saul. It's incredible. None other than Saul. Here is David's chance to bring an end to this awful disruption to his life. David can kill Saul and stop having to live as an outlaw. He can take his place as the rightly, divinely anointed king of Israel. Except he doesn't. He will not lay his hand against someone who has been anointed king. Instead, he creeps up on Saul, and in the darkness of the cave, he cuts off a corner of his robe. He then follows Saul out of the cave and lets him know how he spared his life. And Saul is overcome with remorse and repentance for his behavior, and he returns home. But David doesn't. He continues on his journey, led by God. And he ends up marrying a woman who was living out in the wilderness with her fairly abusive, nasty husband. And he marries her, but only after her husband has been struck dead by God. A short time passes, and Saul swiftly resumes his jealousy and pursuit of David. It was right for David to stay away from him. And now this time, it's the Ziphites who've grasped David up. And we get to the story that we heard in our reading earlier. 
where once again, David has the opportunity to end his years of suffering and fear and disruption. And yet he doesn't. Throughout his time as an outlaw, that time I just whistle stop through of many years, David shows what it is meant to be when he's called a man after God's own heart. Throughout all those times when things, when you think about it, are really horrific in his life, he doesn't give up. He trusts God. He converses with God. He doesn't moan and curse God, but instead he calls out to him for help in the difficult times. And then he confidently, trusting in the Lord, gets on with the life that he is living then, knowing that whatever may happen, God is still with him through the bad times and the good. I think David's actions in the cave, that in the passage that we heard, read about, are utterly radical. You know, the expectation from the man who is with him is that the person who is trying to take David's life is his enemy. And therefore, if he has the opportunity to take that person's life, then he'd best do it. Now, all of that turmoil of the past few years would be ended. But David shows mercy rather than vengeance. He still loves Saul despite everything and so shows him forgiveness even if it was never asked for. That spear becomes this symbolic contrast between the two men and their actions. On the one hand, the king desired by the people who soon rejected God's authority over him and twice sought to kill an innocent man with that spear. And then on the other hand, David, this divinely anointed king-in-waiting, preventing the spear being used as an implement of execution of someone undeserving of such mercy. Saul may have said sorry once, bound, uh, once before, but he clearly soon forgot and was still overcome by this jealousy and rage. The parallels in their actions, the parallels of Jesus' teaching an example some thousand years later are quite clear. And so the reason I gave this whistle-stop tour of what happened in those intervening years is because I think to really appreciate the significance of that moment, you need to understand what David went through in the preceding years. In an instant, his life that he knew and enjoyed was turned upside down. Yet it doesn't say in the Bible that David moaned at God for the injustice of it all. It simply says that God was with David. David's life takes this unexpected series of twists and turns. In times of need, the Lord provides for him. Food for him and his men when he was starving. Shelter from Saul's army when they needed somewhere to hide. Quick wittedness to avoid being handed over by the allies of Saul unexpected, albeit somewhat temporary, stability when he meets and ultimately marries this woman, Abigail. None of those things David could have possibly imagined would have happened when he was living a few years previously in comfort, married to Saul's daughter, the king's daughter, in charge of an army. But in all of those moments, David does the hardest thing, I think. He doesn't give in to fear or despondency but he continues to trust in the Lord. 
How many of us could be questioning those times in life, thinking, how on earth is God allowing this to happen to me? But David continues to trust in the Lord. Psalm 57, which we heard also read to us, was believed to have been written by David when he was hiding in that cave the first time. And what strikes me as amazing is that he calls out to the Lord for help, but then he praises God excitedly. Awake, my soul, awake. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. David rejoices in the challenging times, praising God for his deliverance before it's even happened. And that's such an amazing example for us. How many of us, when things go wrong, when our lives start to fall apart, when we quite understandably call out to God and say, God, why? Help me, please. How many of us would then turn our sorrow and our anguish into praise? I certainly don't remember doing that in the difficult times in my life. In those times when everything that gave me comfort and security felt like it was no longer there. How do we do that? How do we have the confidence and assurance that David had that God was ultimately in charge and looking out for him? I don't know how much David knew about God's ultimate plan for our salvation, about how it would happen through one of his descendants. But that plan involved everything that happened in David's life. God's plan to bring about Salvation involved highs and lows for David. And yet in all those things, David praised God. This is the good David. This is the David who is a man after God's own heart. He trusts the God of Israel so implicitly that having to flee his wife, flee his wife, his home or his city doesn't shake his faith in God's providence. David has more than one opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He instead trusts in God and that God will be the judge between him and Saul and will deliver him. Time and time again, we see David playing the role of the humble servant of God who doesn't assert himself until God opens the opportunity. Can you rejoice in the bad times? Can you praise God? when things are going well, but also when things are falling apart. Good people will suffer bad things. Jonathan, Saul's son, who David loved so much, and yet didn't get to see David become king, he was killed by the Philistines at a time when David had actually gone and joined these hated Philistines. Things in life will go wrong. No one escapes this. This is a part of life. This is life. These are the conditions it comes with. And yet we are all still here. Able to look back on our lives and all of the extraordinary events that have taken place. The moments when our lives turned upside down and we found ourselves going in a completely different direction. But one which you can now see, God was still there. When we exchanged cards with one another at the Rob Bell event, Rob said that at the beginning of the tour, he expected people to kind of like look awkwardly at each other and maybe give a little grimace of acknowledgement. 
yeah, I know you're feeling that my, my marriage ended as well. I'm, I'm looking for a job, yeah. But it wasn't like that. Instead, people were smiling, laughing, joking with each other as they did this. And it was incredible. It was, you're in a mountain of debt too. <laughs> great to meet you. Yeah. I had treatment for cancer at the same time last year as well. It was great. You've had how many interviews and can't get a job? Oh, I thought I was doing well with 10. Crikey. It was an extraordinary. You know, suddenly we didn't feel the suffering. Instead, we felt the love and comfort comfort and assurance perhaps which David knew we didn't know what the outcome in our lives would be but we knew God was with us regardless and out of the suffering could come something that was new and unexpected to quote Rob Bell from his book we plot, we plan we assume things are going in a certain way and when they don't we find ourselves in a new place a place we haven't been before. A place we would never have imagined on our own. It is the difficult and the unexpected, and maybe even the tragic, that opens us up and frees us to see things in new ways. Many of the most significant moments in our lives come not because it all went right, but because it all fell apart. Suffering does that. It hurts, but it also creates there are endless opportunities in our life to serve God, both in the good times and the bad times. It's what we do with our lives that matters. Not just calling out to God in pain, but knowing that he already had a plan for us. One that came at a painful cost to him, but which gave us life. And so we praise him for that, with our hearts and voices, and above all, our actions. Awake, my soul, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, for great is your love. Amen. Thank you very much, Tim. We're going to turn to prayer now, and just before uh, we pray, we're just going to have a few moments of silence where we bring before God in the quietness of our hearts the toughest stuff that we're dealing with at the moment. Everyone will have, uh, I guess, in this building, tough stuff they're dealing with. Some of you, uh, I know about situations that you're in which are really, really tough. Some of you, perhaps I don't know uh, at this moment about that. But let's bring those things before God now and spend a few moments uh, in quiet, just bringing that completely honestly before God and how we feel and how tough it is. <laughs> 